It's MLB draft season, and the Locked on MLB Prospects podcast is covering every future star of the MLB. Host Ron Layton brings you player interviews and farm system breakdowns every day, so make sure you follow Locked on MLB Prospects on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked on Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To get this show every day, follow us wherever you get your podcast. You can also tell your smart device to play Podcast Locked On Mets. Now, over the weekend, the Mets had a very disappointing series as they split their four game set with the Pittsburgh Pirates, but who cares? Because they got Kumar Rocker. In a draft where the casual baseball fan only knew two names, Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, the Mets at 10 land one of the best pitching prospects in the draft. And that's what we're going to focus on for the first two segments of today's show. In the first segment, I'm going to give you kind of a background on who Rocker is, what he's done up to this point in his collegiate career. In the second segment, I'll talk about why Rocker fell to the Mets and what this means for their farm system moving forward. And then finally, in the third segment, I will eventually talk about this series against the Pirates where the Mets absolutely should have won and they should not have gotten that split. A bad game on Sunday. And I have a rant coming, but it's not directed at the person you would think after watching that game. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also follow the show at LockedOnMets. So let's talk about Kumar Rocker. There was a point in time not that long ago that this guy was the consensus number one overall pick. And the fact that you get that type of a talent at 10, that's just awesome news for the Mets. As I said at the top of the show, there was only a couple of names that people really knew And this guy has maybe more star power than anyone in this draft. So you get him at 10, and that's awesome. But for those of you who aren't as familiar with his background, his dad was a former football player. He's an assistant coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's actually a college football Hall of Famer. And Kumar Rocker obviously has taken those genes on as he is 6'5", listed at 245 pounds. He is from Georgia, played high school baseball at North Oconee High School in Bogart. As a junior, he had a 1.63 ERA. He did all the circuits with the Under Armour All-America baseball game, the perfect game, All-American Classic. He was on the USA Baseball 18 under national team. And then he committed to Vanderbilt University, one of the best baseball programs in the country, if not the best, and went into the 2018 draft as one of the top prospects, but because he was not likely to sign, he ended up falling all the way down to the 38th round where he was picked by the Rockies, obviously went to Vanderbilt and just had an amazing collegiate career. In 2019, he pitched to a 3-2-5 ERA, had 114 strikeouts and 99 two-third innings pitch, went 12-5 and that season. He was named the 2019 College World Series Most Outstanding Player 
after helping Vanderbilt capture the championship that year. He won both of his starts in the College World Series, not to mention in the Super Regional round before that, he had a no-hitter against Duke where he had 19 strikeouts. So at the time after that season, that's where he became the consensus top player in this draft. Things did not work out for him entirely that way. 2020, you know, you have the COVID year, only makes three stars. The season gets shut down. This past season, he was very good. 14-4 record, 2.73 ERA, 179 strikeouts in 122 innings pitch. His whip was below one. Second in the nation in strikeouts to his teammate, Jack Leiter. And maybe that is where he started to fall on boards a bit. Jack Leiter kind of went out ahead of him this season, had a better year, was considered that top prospect. And maybe that knocked Rocker down a couple pegs. And we'll talk a little bit more about why he fell to the Mets in the next segment. But you look at what this guy offers when he's right. A fastball that sits in the mid to high 90s can touch 98 right now. He has a slider that is just ridiculous. I urge all of you, whether it's YouTube, Twitter, I don't know, anywhere you can find a highlight, look up Kumar Rocker slider, okay? And also, I just got to say, if at some point I slip up and say John Rocker, I just got to apologize now for putting any connection between the two. But, you know, when you're going through these podcasts, you're rattling names off, there are certain names in your head that might accidentally come out. So if I've said John Rocker up to this point, huge apology because we don't want any connection to that guy. Let's not even bring him up anymore. Kumar Rocker is the antithesis of that. He's going to be a superstar in New York City in a couple of years and someone that, I mean, fans should just be so excited about. So you look at, as I was mentioning before, some of the highlights of that slider Maybe the best breaking pitch in the draft. I mean, look, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a draft expert, but I listen to draft experts, and I've heard that type of praise for his slider. And if you watch the highlights again, you'll see it is just a wipeout strikeout pitch. His curveball considered above average as well. Changeup needs some work, but he might not even need a four-pitch mix to be a starting pitcher in the big leagues. And if he does get to that point, There's plenty of time to develop him and get a fourth pitch for him. But right now you're looking at a guy that can be an absolute workhorse in a rotation. That's what he was in college. He has that big build. He should be able to really succeed and even fly through the farm system considering the fact that he's already 21. I mean, like I just said before, 122 innings pitch this year in college. So who knows how many innings the Mets are going to want to pitch him this season where they're going to slot him in, depending on where he signs. You know, is he going to get some time in Brooklyn? We don't really know just yet. But the bottom line is, you are talking about an elite talent that no one expected to get at 10. Nobody. The Mets scouting department was not anticipating the opportunity to pick Rocker. But when he fell into their laps, they grasped that opportunity. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next segment, how the Mets were able to get Kumar Rocker at number 10. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Whether it's the NBA Finals where the Milwaukee Bucks are maybe getting back in that series against the Phoenix Suns. Maybe it's Major League Baseball and you want to bet on the Home Run Derby. I got Pete Alonso at plus 450 odds. Juan Soto I threw a flyer on too 
at plus 850. So you can go to bet online, put a little money on the Derby, and enjoy later on tonight. Obviously, big moment for Pete Alonso to try to repeat as the home run derby champ. Also, nice little note if you read the fine print of the rules, the humidor is going to be off in Coors Field. So balls are going to be flying. That's something you want to enjoy, and it's even more fun if you play with Bet Online. They have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. They have you covered for all the new scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code Locked On. Again, that's promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So if there's a Mets fan out there that's maybe a little bit pessimistic or can be skeptical at times, and they're listening to this podcast and hearing me rave about Kumar Rocker and hearing the the big just outpouring from Mets fans about how great of a pick this is, there might be someone who's looking at all this and saying, well, why did he fall to 10 again? I mean, if he's that good, why was he available to the Mets with the 10th pick? Well, there's a couple of reasons that he might have fallen. The main one is some inconsistency with his velocity this past season. There were some starts where he went out, he didn't have 95-96 in the tank, it was more like 91-92. And so when you have that, and he's a big guy, maybe there were some concerns about how that arm is going to be long-term. But he was also great through most of the season, still had a ton of strikeouts, still was one of the best pitchers in the nation, So if you look beyond that, a couple of other reasons would be because he did not perform great at the biggest moment at the end of the season in the College World Series, gave up five runs, four of them being earned against Mississippi State, who ultimately beat Vanderbilt, and he had some bad starts sprinkled through. You know, he he was great. I think he was 7-0 to start the season, had an ERA under one, and then things kind of leveled off a bit, and he was up and down. But overall, his body of work in college was excellent. Now, there were a lot of teams in the top 10 this year that were drafting players that are believed to be available to be signed under slot. So that means that these teams can save money, whether that means they want to go under slot on their first round pick because they're planning on spending that money throughout the rest of the draft, or if they're just cheap franchises who are small market, who are still hurting from the 2020 season the losses there and they simply just don't want to spend that money and so if there's all these teams crying poor and here's Kumar Rocker who is probably you know talking to these teams and kind of setting a bar for what his number is going to be and there's teams that don't think they can match it and are concerned that they're not going to be able to sign him and they might lose him then they're going to look another direction. And I think that might be the main reason that this kid fell to 10. That's just my thoughts on it. That's not any reporting, but you know, if you kind of read the tea leaves and connect the dots and you see what the other picks were and 
where the teams ultimately decided to go, it, it just makes sense that they looked at Rocker and they said, all right, well, there's a couple of things that concern us with the velocity, some of his bad starts down the stretch, and he's going to cost a lot to get him to sign on the dotted line. Maybe we can go this route. And it's very easy when you're in those rooms to talk yourself into another choice. Well, if you're the Mets and you got Steve Cohen now, you're saying, who cares? What does he want? Sign him. He's the best player available. And so they make the move. And that is just another beautiful thing about Steve Cohen and this change of ownership. The tentacles of this, the way it reaches out to so many aspects of this organization and how they operate, it it just, it cannot be stated enough how much this change has meant for the Mets. Because I don't know if a Wilpon-led organization is drafting this guy. I really don't know. Now, I do think that because the scouting department and all the people that have been making these decisions the last couple of years has remained generally the same, I do believe that the Mets could be operating under a similar strategy where they can be drafting over-slot players in the first two or three rounds, and then from that point on, they can be going under-slot, 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 just try to get some guys that are you know the senior college players that will have to sign, and, and you go with that you know, that, that strategy once again, but this player in particular brings an extra layer of star power and attention to the Mets that is worth whatever it costs to get him to sign. And so there's no doubt he will sign. He sounds thrilled to be a Met was talking about, you know, potentially pitching with some of those great guys the Mets have and learning from them and talked about wanting to be part of it all and be in New York and, he just seems like a perfect fit for the Mets. You get a star, a guy that has looked up to Marcus Stroman. Maybe if the Mets sign Stroman to an extension, they'll be teammates one day. But regardless, this is a huge win for the Mets. And if you kind of look forward now at what's in the farm system, now you're starting to have some arms again that have that potential. You've got JT Jin, you got Matthew Allen. Now you have Rocker. That's three arms that could be in Queens in a couple of years, and suddenly some of that depth that Brody Van Wagenen was trading away like crazy his two years running the team, you're starting to build that up again. And one thing to take in mind, one of the last times the Mets drafted a college pitcher with this type of a pedigree was Matt Harvey. Seventh overall selection, 2010. July of 2012, Just a couple of years later, Matt Harvey was pitching in the big leagues for the Mets. He did not pitch the season that he got drafted. 2011, he split time between single A and double A. 2012, he started the season in triple A, made 20 starts. Then he got promoted and made his debut with the Mets. So if Rocker can remain healthy, if he can perform very well, who knows, in a couple of seasons, maybe we're talking 2023? Rocker could earn a promotion to the big league club and make a quick impact here. And when you're looking at a team that has just said goodbye to that past era, the Harvey era that included Steven Matz and Zach Wheeler and Noah Syndergaard's going to be a free agent. And you don't know what's happening with Stroman. You're looking at the future of the Mets rotation right now and it's Jacob DeGrom and you're trying to figure out what's around him. And Taiwan Walker's going to be here for a couple of years, and 
Maybe you like a McGill and you like a David Peterson. You like some of these guys. You know, Joey Lucchese, if he sticks around after the Tommy John, he's got a couple years of control. I mean, whatever you want to talk about here. None of those guys, when it comes to the young guys in particular, have the upside to be next to DeGrom atop a rotation. They just drafted a kid at 10 that could do that. And that's why you got to be thrilled right now. One reason to not be thrilled, though, is because the Mets somehow blew a series to the Pirates where they absolutely should have won and they ended up with a split. And that's what we're going to talk about in just a minute. And I'm going to get to that rant that I promised you at the top of the show. And again, you have no idea who that's directed towards, but it's going to surprise you. What won't surprise you, though, is how amazing Built Bars taste. Maybe it will surprise you if you have yet to try one. This is the best tasting protein bar on the market. I always just talk about the cookies and cream bar. It's my personal favorite, but there's other great flavors to choose from. If you go to BuiltBar.com, you can see what they have. You can make your own box, mix up the different flavors, see what you like, and then buy more of your favorite flavors. These are protein bars that taste like candy bars. They come covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft, they're easy to chew, and they're healthy. Built Bars come low in calories, low in sugar, but they're high in protein and they're high in fiber. If you want to try Built Bar today, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Over the weekend, the Mets were squaring off against the Pittsburgh Pirates for a four-game series, and I think all of us were expecting them to go in win at least three of those games, maybe sweep the Pirates. You close out a great first half at City Field, go into the break feeling great about yourself. And that did not happen. But early on, it kind of seemed like things were heading in that direction. You had the first game on Friday night, Taiwan Walker pitches, throws a pretty good game. The Mets scored 10 runs in one inning, ultimately score 13, beat the Pirates 13-4. to Taiwan Walker is named an all-star as a replacement. So congrats to Taiwan. Everything's great. Then you got the doubleheader on Saturday, which was a makeup for Thursday's rainout. So going into that doubleheader, there was a decision to be made. Do you start Marcus Stroman and go bullpen game or Marcus Stroman and Tyler McGill? The Mets opted to go Stroman to McGill and have their starters pitch a doubleheader and go with a bullpen game on Sunday. Well, Marcus Stroman didn't have the best start. The Mets lose game one. In game two, they win. Tyler McGill becomes the first player in franchise history for the Mets to win all four of his first four career starts, although he didn't pitch great. He did okay, but didn't make it through four innings. Already at 85 pitches. Familia had to bail him out of a jam. You get through that game, get the victory. You have a chance to win the final game of the series and win the series outright against the Pirates in the four-game set. And in the first inning of that game on Sunday, the Mets are winning 5 to nothing. So everyone is sitting on the couch, just thrilled. And then everything goes downhill. And to spare you all the gory details, the Mets did not produce any more offense in that game, and you had a series of relievers get banged up in their second inning of work. You first had Familia, 
Then you had Miguel Castro. Then you had Edwin Diaz. And there was an outcry, at least on social media, from fans saying, what was going on with the bullpen management here? The Mets can't blow a game like that. How do you go into the break like that? You know, the typical panicky Mets stuff. And I'm going to just portray a confidence. (laughs) I'm going to read a text that my dad sent me at 426, which, if I remember correctly, was right about where Edwin Diaz blew the game for the Mets. Word for word here. Can you say way to blow a layup win to one of the worst teams in baseball? Three exclamation points. This was not one of Rojas's shining moments, as well as the hitters taking their feet off the pedal after the first. Great analysis by Robbie Finkelstein. Um, but I think that sentiment was carried out throughout the fan base, and Rojas's name being mentioned in that is what I am going to rail against here. And my dad's a little bit included, but a lot of you are. Because I hate the hyper-analysis of a single game when fans criticize a manager who has more information than they do. (laughs) That's just the way I feel about it. And at times, I've criticized managers as well. I am maybe working from a bit of a glass house here, but this one in particular is frustrating to me, particularly because I started to see the narrative of the Mets should have started Tyler McGill on Sunday and gone bullpen game game two. Well, that is a really faulty line of logic because the only game they won of the final three games, Tyler McGill started a seven-inning game and only made it halfway through that seven-inning game. So what makes you think that three and two-thirds of McGill on Sunday would have resulted in a win in a nine-inning game where the Mets would have had to cover even more innings of relief than they did in the second game on Saturday? So that, to me, is a faulty line of logic. But then you get into the specifics, right? What was the Mets' plan? Their plan sure as hell wasn't to have Stroman and McGill give them eight and two-thirds on Saturday. They were expecting at least 10 innings out of those two, five apiece, and if not more, they probably thought Stroman had a chance to give them a complete game, if not give them six innings and hand the ball off to Diaz in game one. McGill, you were hoping, would give you five, and that didn't happen. So when that doesn't happen, it alters your entire plan. They also probably expected a little bit more out of Jared Eikhoff in that game on Sunday. He only gave him two innings before they had to get him the hell out of there because he just honestly sucks. I hate to say that to Jared Eikhoff, but I don't want to see him pitch for the Mets again this year. I think Mets fans hold a similar sentiment. So you combine those things, and that's what put Rojas in the position where he's trying to squeeze more out of his high-leverage arms Because the all-star break is coming up. And you're just trying to get every last drop. Just trying to squeeze a win out of it. And the one criticism I can give Rojas. Is that he needs to trust Drew Smith more. Because the fact is he did not trust Drew Smith in a one-run game. Enough to give him one of those high leverage innings. And I will take a fresh Drew Smith. Or you know your, your fifth reliever in your bullpen that's fresh. Over a tired guy. That's one of your top two or three. And Miguel Castro's been bad recently, so that's another layer of this. If it was me, I'd probably have pitched Smith in the eighth um, at the start of the inning as opposed to letting Castro get into a jam. Edwin Diaz had to bail him out. Diaz kind of runs out of gas in the ninth, and that's what happens. But there's way too many times where no one's blaming the player for not executing, the lineup for not scoring out to the first inning, all these different pitchers who had a bad day simultaneously. 
and we're putting it all on the manager. Like, the fans know more than the guy that probably had the information that Trevor May and Seth Lugo maybe weren't available. So he didn't have those arms to go to when he thought he probably would have when they originally orchestrated the plan heading into the weekend where they decided to go with Stroman and McGill on the doubleheader. And I understand some people would have that. Like, the logic of starting McGill in the 9 inning game isn't lost. I mean, I brought it up going into the weekend. But I'm not going to sit here on a Monday morning podcast, right, and be a Monday morning quarterback and say that they should have done it differently because it didn't work out. Sometimes you lose. You know what? The Pirates played some pretty good baseball over the weekend. I'm not going to say that they're a great team or anything crazy, but they do have a couple of all-stars in their lineup with Brian Reynolds and Adam Frazier, a couple of guys that are potential trade targets for the Mets. And, you know, they got some good production there throughout that lineup. So, yes, the Mets should have won this series. They should not have split. That's obvious. But I'm just not going to be the guy who is going to criticize Rojas right now. And the Mets are sitting 47 and 40, seven games over 500 with a three and a half game lead in the division over the Phillies, a four game lead over the Braves, a six game lead over the Nationals. The Phillies are the only other team that's even at 500. The rest of the division is under 500. And the Mets have dealt with as much as anyone this year. And Rojas has kept his team focused and engaged all year. He has created a clubhouse where guys come up from the taxi squad. They're in Syracuse. They end up making the roster for a game or two. They contribute. They make a big catch. They get a big hit. And then they get discarded. And all of these guys have stepped in. You have over 50 players who have played for the Mets this year. Everyone is contributing and finding ways to win. And that has to reflect on the manager in some fashion. So at times, I have been a guy that has criticized the manager for a single decision that cost them a game. In this instance, the only thing I would criticize is his lack of trust in Drew Smith. But outside of that, digging too deep into why he went to these guys for multiple innings and and how he made the biggest mistake by not starting McGill and, and all these different things, to me, it's just ridiculous. So the fans out there, need to reflect a bit before they react when something like this happens. And right now, I don't think there's really anything that can be said about Rojas other than the fact that he has been a manager of the year candidate this season so far. He has kept his team together. He's kept his team in first place. And now he's going to get a better team to manage in the second half with the trade deadline coming and guys getting healthy and Carrasco's return around the corner. And so now if the team doesn't take off in the second half, if they struggle as it gets more talent, then we can criticize. But right now, final game of an amazing first half. Let's let it be with Rojas. And with the Mets in general, coming into this week, what do we say? Four and three, you're happy. They won four and three this week. I said that I thought they were going to probably lose that series against the Brewers. They did not have good pitching matchups there. They faced two All-Stars. They beat two All-Stars. They won that series. And so while they might have tripped over the finish line on Sunday and lost a game they should have won, they've won plenty of games this year that they should have lost. And so with that, I think you just have to take this as one of 162. You move forward. And it is time to focus in on tonight's action, the Home Run Derby. So make sure you check that out. Pete Alonso looking to defend his Home Run Derby crown. We'll be talking about that 
on tomorrow's episode. Throughout the rest of the week, going to be doing a lot of trade deadline stuff. Also, of course, continue to break down the MLB draft as the Mets build off of this great rocker pick. And then also reflecting a bit on the first half and some of the performances we've seen up to this point. That's going to be all, though, for today's edition of Locked On Mets. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show, at Locked On Mets. And if you want to get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes, check out the Locked On Today podcast. Hosted by Peter Bukowski, Locked On Today updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts.